Thanks for coming to Sunday school. Good to see you. Lovely fall morning. Um, let me open us up with a word of prayer and we'll um, get going into our study. Holy Father, um, we do praise you and give you thanks for the beauty of this area where we live, of these mountains, of the lovely colors um, that the leaves turn this time of year, which we know, dear Father, from your word, all speaks to your glory, to your divine attributes, and to your goodness, that even um, in a created order that has been affected by sin's curse and the fall of man, O oh God, that still um, the beauty of your being um, shines through to us, your image bearers. We thank you for the light of Christ, dear Father, shining upon our darkened hearts, creating new life within us, causing us to cry out to you, to look to Christ in faith and repentance. And we would ask now, O oh God, for the help of your Holy Spirit as we continue in our study on worry and anxiety, that it would indeed be beneficial um, for us, encouraging, and that you would accomplish your purposes for us um, during um, this session. We ask this in the name of our risen Lord Jesus. Amen. I opened my eyes and there was more people. That's great. <laughs> so we've been going through... Um, this book um, by um, Gerald M. Bilks, a professor at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, How Can I Stop Worrying? This morning, God willing, we're going to be looking at this little subsection that's under the heading of stewardship. Does anybody want to give a brief definition of what you understand stewardship to mean? Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, I would probably define it if if I was going to put like a pithy definition on it, something to the effect of it's taking care of something that's been entrusted to you. And to your point, time is something that is given to us by the Lord. You know, every every minute of our lives is something that has been entrusted to us, comes to us from his hand. Um, every responsibility that we have, every um, sphere in which we have duties and obligations, gifts from the Lord, these are things that we are called to be good stewards of. Uh, the last time that we met together, we were talking about what it doesn't mean to not worry. And does anyone remember what we said was something we needed to guard against? What kind of an attitude we needed to guard against? When we do rightly say that Christians don't worry, that Christians aren't anxious, what does that not mean? Apathy. That's exactly right, Jared. That's what I have written down here in my notes. We, we should not be apathetic. We should care, and there is a kind of godly concern that we should have over you know, various circumstances 
um, different people, particularly people that we have specific obligations to. Um, you think about pastors and their churches or parents and their children, that these are things that we should take care and exercise what Joel was saying, stewardship over. So Bilk says this, um, this is the, the first paragraph here. Paul's words, be careful for nothing, do not mean that we shouldn't take reasonable measures regarding our lives in the future. God has called us to be stewards of all that he has given us. The Bible consistently encourages wise, godly, intentional living and warns against laziness and thoughtlessness. So let's stop right there. Where are some places in the scripture where laziness and thoughtlessness are warned against or, or condemned? Well, Amy just said Proverbs. Do you, Okay, let's turn to the book of Proverbs together. He he alludes to this passage if you've got a copy of the book in front of you, but it's Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to read a a little bit more of the passage than what he has for us here. Proverbs chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in verse 6. So King Solomon says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So in Proverbs, what we learn from the example of the ant is planning ahead, being wise, stewarding the resources that God has again entrusted to us. And when we talk about letting tomorrow worry about tomorrow, sufficient for the day is its own trouble, that does not mean that we do not waste what we have today and that we don't wisely plan for the future, right? Otherwise, we would have a contradiction in the scripture, and we know that that's surely not the case. We also look at um, 2 Thessalonians. You can turn with me there in your Bibles. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says here. For even when we were with you, this is starting in verse 10, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. What is the apostle teaching the Thessalonians? What is he correcting? And then by extension, what is he teaching us in this passage we just read? And how does it relate to this issue of stewardship and wise planning.
Well, okay, let me ask it this way. Should the Thessalonians have been trusting God to provide for their needs? Yes. So now ex- help me explain to me how that fits together with Paul's admonition here. If you don't work, you don't eat. That, yes, exactly. That ultimately we recognize that everything we receive comes from the Lord's hand, but the Lord does use means, and it is in his good purpose and his design that man um, works to, um, to, to, receive his, to, to receive his bread. And so that, in other words, if you're going to say, and I trust the Lord, so... Uh, I'm going to waste my money or I'm going to waste my time or I'm not going to be concerned about, you know, finding a job or whatever else. That's not trusting the Lord. That's being presumptuous and that's being apathetic. That, in other words, neglecting our duties, neglecting our responsibilities, whether that be to our family, um, to the church, even our duties and our obligations to society um, that, that is sinful. Um, that is wicked. Those are things that we should care about. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how you cannot use um, our obligation to be free from a sinful anxiety to, to, to say, well, I'm just not going to care about anything. God's going to take care of, of everything. So, say la vie. Whatever will be, will be. Um, God will take care of me, even though I'm in the midst of disobeying him right now by not taking care of my family, um, performing the responsibilities that he's given me. Does that make sense? Are there any, are there any questions or, or follow-up comments on that before we go a little further? I think we could all see the foolishness of, 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 of an example like this. If you're driving on the interstate like I was doing a few days ago, and um, your gas light comes on, and you pass three gas stations, you're like, God's going to take care of me. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to be anxious. We all would say, that's stupid, <laughs> right? And, and if, you, if you run out of gas and you end up on the side of the road, that's not that God has abandoned you, <laughs> It's, God has not failed you, that you made a foolish decision. You're reaping the consequences of that foolish decision. That's, that's not a commendable attitude to have. Let's keep going. He says, surely we have a responsibility to do our best in any given situation, both with our money and with our time. So that's what we talked about um, last week doing everything that we set our hand to, the way it says in Ecclesiastes, doing it with all our might, um, of recognizing that the Lord gives us obligations and it's our privilege to do those things with excellence and to glorify him through those things that we do, um, whether that would be employees at work, or some of you younger folks, the chores that your parents entrust to you, that it is according to the mind of Christ, and it's glorifying to God for us to do those things as best as we possibly can. Taking care of proper things, he says, of this world is necessary, and God calls us to do so properly. 
He goes on to speak about, um, um, con- I, would re- I would say it like this, a godly concern for the well-being of others. And there are a couple of examples here that came to my mind when I was reading this. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, this is, of course, the account of our Lord Jesus feeding the multitude. In this case, it's the feeding of the the 4,000. And listen to what it says in verse 32 of Matthew 15. Now, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Why do you think that I wanted us to look at this passage? What relevance does this have to what we were just talking about? Okay, let's, let's start with another question. Did Jesus ever sin? No. <laughs> That's right, Liam. Jesus never sinned. But here in verse 32, Jesus is concerned about something, isn't he? Right? Look at the text. He has a concern for these people that have been attending him, who have been listening to him preach. His concern is, is that like if he just ends his sermon and he sends them away, that, that they're going to faint, that they're, that they're so weary, they've not had anything to eat, there's no other provision around, you know, that they're, they're going to suffer. Something bad's going to happen to them. Now, so and we know Jesus is not sinfully anxious here, right? Jesus isn't failing to trust his Father in heaven. No, I think that this is an excellent example of our Lord himself um, seeing a situation, seeing a need, an, an issue with these people that, they, were, that they, um, were, they required something. And then that concern of the Lord Jesus, his heart, um, the compassion that he had, that concern that godly zeal moves him then to act to to do something and of course in this case it it moves him to perform a miracle um, and to feed the four thousand with the with the loaves and the fishes this is the kind of godly care the godly concern and stewardship that that i'm wanting you to 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 see in in these texts that we're looking at this morning how these two things are not mutually exclusive jesus is not you know it's not the the stomach churning the the wringing of the hands it's not a lack of trust in god but it is a recognition of course that christ as as the messiah he he was able and willing to do that which would alleviate what would have been the suffering of these people and then he acted according to his compassion to do that thing. We also see in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, the, um, it's Paul tell Barnabas, you know, let's go to, um, basically he says, all the churches that we've planted on the first missionary journey to see how they are doing. And that's not, that's not a, a godless anxiety. That's not a sinful worrying. That's a godly care and concern about all of these brothers and sisters 
And these churches that they've planted, they want to visit them to see, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? Are there any issues? Is, are, are there any ways that we can help or pray or support you? I think that Bilks does a good job here of talking about the differences between godly concern and then sinful worry. He talks about the, the motive of it. He quotes Matthew Henry because Henry talks about how there is a diligence and a wise forecast and a due concern that we should have, but that that is different from distrust, right, of of, of not entrusting ourselves to the Lord and believing that he is good, that he will provide, that, that, that those are not the same thing. He says we can distinguish between proper and improper care largely by examining the motives behind them. If we worry about something because we are not trusting in God, then we are doing wrong. If we worry in such a way that we become perplexed and distracted from our daily work, we are doing wrong. He goes on to say, so first, Paul is not targeting a care that grows out of distrust or a lack of faith. Thoughts about that? Questions? Maybe we could ask it this way. What would it look like for your care and concern to be coming out of a distrust in God? Yeah, consu- yeah, consuming. That's a good word. And he even alludes to that. Um, it can become paralyzing even. That not only is it not productive, it does, it's not just, it doesn't just stop you from doing what you should do it actually causes you to to regress. And as we were talking about um, a couple of weeks ago, it actually opens you up to, to, to more sin. It opens you up to being distracted from what the Lord has given you to do. And it distracts you from the appointed means of grace that God has appointed for us to be comforted and to cultivate our trust in him. Basically, you could, you could look at it as a taking your eyes off of Zion, only looking at your circumstances. And then like what, what Rose was just saying, being consumed by them, paralyzed by them, forgetting the faithfulness of God. He also talks about um, proportion, proportion. And he defines when you're talking about um, your concerns being out of proportionate, disproportionate, he says that Sharp, and that's the John Sharp, the theologian he quoted a couple of paragraphs before, Sharp warns against neglecting our daily devotions because we want to do better in our business and neglecting communion with God because we are more concerned to be popular with our friends. Our first and great concern should be the glory of God. We should fear God and serve him in everything else if everything else is subordinate and subservient to that great aim, we will have the right focus and that will help us put things in perspective. So give me some examples of when our care or concern of something is out of proportion. 
could be an example from your own life or, or not. When is it out of proportion? I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, certainly other, yeah, brethren can help us when maybe we think something's a bigger deal than it actually is. What are some specific examples, though, of something, of, of, of a concern that is so out of proportion that it becomes sinful? That's, yeah, it's a good example. That, that's something that the church dealt with 2020, 2021. Yeah. Yeah, when it, it went, so when it keeps you, when fear of something keeps you from doing things that God has commanded you to do. What are some other examples? Yes, that's that's uh, that's certainly sinful, Liam. Yeah, you're not 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 um, obeying the Lord's command to gather together on His day and to sanctify the day. That's absolutely true, and a lot of people do that. Do you think that sometimes a a a concern over something that is good and godly can cause us to forget the Lord? Yes, <laughs> it can. <laughs> so, so let me ask you then, how do we guard against that? Mm-hmm. Yes, a regular meditation on the Word of God. Yeah, public and private, yes. Prayer, yes, we're going to talk about that next week, God willing, prayer. What are some other things? So here's an example that I thought of. When we think about um, the Sabbath, right, the, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, there might be sometimes things that we have going on this coming week, right? That um, we don't, it's not necessary that we do it on the Lord's Day. Let's just put it that way. But, but perhaps we do it just because we're feeling anxious that if, well, if I don't do it today, 
what, whatever that might be. If I don't get it done today, I might, and it's something to say it needs to be done, that I, I might not be able to do it next week. I might not be able to, to get everything done that, that is necessary, everything that I've got on my, on my agenda. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, acts of necessity. I'm, I mean, we're not doing a full-blown theology of the Christian Sabbath here. But what I am saying is this. We should trust the Lord that on the Lord's day, that if we keep his commandment, if we rest, if we worship, that he will bless that. And that he will provide for us. He will give us the strength that we need, the help that we need over the coming week to do whatever it is that he has for us. That he will provide. So one example that I thought of was in Exodus chapter 16. Let's turn there. Exodus chapter 16. This is, of course, um, the story of the Lord providing the manna and the quail for the children of Israel when they're in the wilderness after the, the exodus from Egypt. Now, let's begin reading here in verse 17. It says, Then the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Now, now let's stop right there. Why were they not to leave any till the next day, till the, the following morning? Why were they not to save any? Right, because God had promised them. He told them, I am going to give it to you every morning. And if they set some aside... For the next morning, what were they showing? Distrust. They didn't believe God's word. Exactly. So let's keep reading. Um, Verse 20. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them, so they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. Verse 22. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourself all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And then it it goes on, of course, as we would expect, the unbelieving Israelites, they go out to gather the manna on on the Sabbath. There is none because God said there wouldn't be. (laughs) Because he provided 
a double portion on Friday, the day before the Sabbath, so they would be taken care of. Now, why do I, why do you think, in our final couple minutes here, why do you think I bring up this passage? Why, why did I turn our attention here? Mm hmm. About trusting God. Yes. It's about trusting God. What else? Specifically, trusting God with what? Yes, our needs. Providing for our needs. Provision to keep his commandments. Excellent. Excellent way to put it. Yes. So simply put, and and I'll close with this, brethren. I'm going to try not to go over the way I have been. (laughs) Through examples like the one we just read in the scripture, I think one of the applications, one of the things that we can learn is that when we set apart God's Sabbath as holy, when we honor it as he has commanded us to honor it, when we're not doing unnecessary work or you know, worrying ourselves with, um, with secular worldly affairs, and that doesn't even mean sinful, Right? But things that we really know can wait till tomorrow or, or another day this coming week, one of the six days. That when we, rather than, rather than engaging in those things on the Lord's day, and then we set it apart, I think two things. One, we recognize that the Sabbath, as the Lord Jesus teaches us, is a gift to us. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God knows that we are not like him. <laughs> we are not infinite. <laughs> and we need rest. That's the first thing. And we are, we are commanded to enjoy a holy rest on the Sabbath. So that's the first thing. And it's a means of grace, right? It's, it's good for us. It, it nourishes our souls when, when we rest when we contemplate the things of the Lord, worship Him publicly and privately. The second thing is this. It teaches us to trust the Lord. The Sabbath does. Why does it teach us to trust the Lord? Well, because we say on the Sabbath, and again, not talking about emergencies or things that are truly necessary, I'm not talking about that, but, but it teaches us that God has given me this day for worship and for rest. And I trust him that if I, if I obey that commandment and I receive this day as the gift that it is intended to be, like the, with the Israelites in Exodus 16, that he will provide. He he will give me the grace that I need to obey his commandments. Kind of paraphrasing what my wife said. That he will help me this coming week. He will help me to have the time to do X, Y, or Z. He will help me to accomplish this or that task. That I trust God that I will not have to do this on his special day because he is going to be with me. He is going to bless me. And in fact, he is going to use this day, this rest, this worship to equip me to do the things that he has given me to do. The responsibilities he has given me to fulfill throughout this coming week. 
So I would submit to you, brethren, that 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 is one of the the one of the the chief applications that we can take away from here. And this is what I was getting at um, a few moments ago when I was talking about inordinate care or when it's disproportionate. That these can be, you know, legitimate things, but that care for them can be so um, out of its proper place, out of its proper proportion, that it can tempt us to do um, things that are um, not appropriate in this particular example on the Lord's Day. Because that care has overshadowed the care that we should have to to keep the Lord's fourth commandment. Finally, the last thing that I will say is um, planning ahead for the future. Wise stewardship. That this is not distrust in God. This is rather, as we said at the beginning of our time, this is rather... um, acknowledging the means that the Lord has appointed ordinarily to, to provide for us. That this is being wise. In, in Proverbs 27, 12, we read that the wise man sees evil coming and, and, and prepares for it, but the foolish man, you know, goes along, he ignores it, and he suffers for it. You know, so it's, it's good to, or rather, not only is it good to, we should not waste our resources presumptuously. We should have a wise care and planning for the future such that, you know, if, if, our, if my landlord calls us and says that you're being evicted in a month and, and if I'm not trying to find another place to live, well, that's not, you know, that's not trusting in God. That's, that's being lazy, <laughs> right? Like no one would accuse me of not trusting God by going on Zillow and trying to find a new home if I've been told that I'm losing my current home. So that's the final point that I would like to make on that, brethren. Um, are, there any, are there any final thoughts or questions about this before we close with a word of prayer? Good. I'm only five minutes over this morning, so I consider that a win. Um, we will, uh, we will uh, have, of course, now a, a, our, our time in between for the service. You need to use the restroom or whatever else. Our sister will start playing the prelude at 1025, and um, I would encourage you to use that time just for silent prayer and preparation as we go to the Lord in um, solemn public worship. But for now, we'll close this time of Sunday school. Tony, brother, would you close us with a word of prayer? Amen.